0: This call is being recorded. Hello, and welcome to Sustainable Business Fridays, hosted by the BARD MBA on Sustainability. My name is Stephanie Milbergs, and I'm Assistant Director of the BARD MBA program. We are excited to have Saskia Van Gent, Greenskeeping Manager from Method Home, on our show today. Before turning over the mic to Mariana Souza and Simon Fischweicker, two second-year BARD MBA students who will be leading today's conversation, I want to provide some background about the BARD MBA and sustainability. We are one of the few programs globally that fully integrate sustainability into our curriculum from the ground up. We are a low residency program where part of our courses are taught online and the other portion are taught over long weekend residencies in New York City. We are a deeply experiential program, with first-year students partaking in a course called NYC Lab, where they work on real-world sustainability challenges for clients. In recent years, some clients have included UBS, Unilever, Lockheed Martin, ConEd Solutions, and Inward Point, a growing startup. Thank you all for joining us today. Please do mute your phones and headsets at this time to reduce the chance of feedback during this call. I will now turn over the conversation to Mariana and Simon, who will introduce Saskia. Welcome to all of you. Great.
1: Right. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Um, Saskia, thanks for joining, and um, I'm Mariana Souza, I'm a second-year MBA student. Simon is also a second-year MBA student, and we are working together on our capstone, so I'm glad he can join me in this conversation with Saskia. Um, So I'll just give, like, the sort of quick bulleted point version of Saskia's background. She has a very cool one, and she's done amazing work at Method, so hopefully she can give us some more insight. But uh, to set the stage, Saskia is Captain Planet for Method Products, based in San Francisco, California. Method designs cleaning and personal care products that work for people and the planet. With a background in life cycle analysis and systems thinking, Saskia applies the science of sustainability with a strategy of business to influence and improve all aspects of company operations. She leads green keeping product projects for North America covering packaging, ingredients, supply chain, green building, and third-party certification through Cradle to Cradle and B Corp. Prior to methods, Saskia led material sustainability projects in packaging and green building at the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. So an impressive background, Saskia, we'd love to hear a little bit more about you and about uh,
2: Method Home. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. Um, so for folks that aren't familiar, we are a green cleaning company, and we um, you, you may be familiar with Method. We're about a 15-year-old brand that started in San Francisco, and about three years ago, we merged with a large green cleaning company that was based in Belgium at the time called EcoVair. And together, we're technically the largest green cleaning company in the world. So um, we grew from a, a small company, still a small company, compared to a lot of the conventional cleaning companies. Uh, but now we have two brands and operating in uh, North America and also in Europe. And uh, one of the cool things about greenskeeping at Method is that we're able to integrate into all different functions of the company. So we're not completely in isolation working on projects we the, I'd say that the when I feel like I'm doing my best, I hear other people kind of leading the charge and trying to get greenskeeping and sustainable practices integrated into what they're doing, if, whether it be transportation and bringing biodiesel into transportation, or if I hear the packaging engineers like asking about how much post-consumer material they can get into a product. So it's very integrated in the company, um, and that allows for a lot of really exciting work. Very nice. Um, so
1: we one of the sort of the reasons that we invited you onto the call. I was lucky enough to be in Chicago this summer, and I visited Method's new plant. It is amazing. It's um, I think one of the first lead platinum manufacturing environments in the United States. It's gorgeous. There's a lot of aspects of it that are really wonderful that I'll let Sappi go into a little bit. But um, if you could tell us just a bit about you know. What, what I found really interesting was that very few cleaning companies do their own manufacturing. And so, you know, what were the conversations at Method that made made you all decide to go on this journey to make an incredibly sustainable um, soap manufacturing
2: environment? Yeah, so um, I normally work in our San Francisco office, which is where our you know, kind of finance and business development team and, and uh, product development teams are. But and this year we were lucky enough to open our first – owned manufacturing facility in Chicago. It is a lead Platinum facility, and there's one other lead Platinum facility, and it's in Chattanooga, and it's a Volkswagen factory. And uh, it is unusual for especially a cleaning company of our size to do its own manufacturing. I think one of the, the main advantages that we saw is um, just the flexibility that that it brings. And we have a lot of kind of unusual packaging formats, unusual formulations, and different innovations that we want to bring to the category. And by having our own manufacturing, we really saw the ability to have a little bit more control and a little bit more nimbleness to be able to do that. So we can run either smaller runs of different products to test things out or maybe prototype new ingredients and small batch formulations. And if you do contract manufacturing, you really don't have the ability to do that. But um, as you can imagine, it is a, p- a pretty significant investment, and it is um, more of like a permanent commitment to um, remain in the business. So, if you can imagine, if you have contract manufacturers, it's a little bit easier to stop and start doing different things. But once you own your own manufacturing, it is um, more of a long-term commitment. But we did not only want to have the flexibility to be able to do different types of um, product formats and, and to create that um, innovation that we want to bring to market. We also really wanted to have more control over the environmental aspects of our, our manufacturing as a green cleaning company, we can source um, post-consumer recycled plastic for our packaging and all of the ingredients in the formulation itself and even have some control over the distribution and the supply chain. But um, manufacturing itself in, in that final production stage was one area that we didn't feel that we had that much control over. So by doing our own factory and bringing in light, renewable energy in the form of a, a 300-foot Tall uh, wind turbine and three solar panels and, and greenhouses on the roof. We finally felt like we had the ability to create a world class and highly sustainable factory. So that was um, a huge incentive for us to just to be able to um, showcase and, and to build our products the same way that we um, envision them to be. Awesome.
1: Um, we would love to hear some more about the sort of, like, specific initiatives, but I'm wondering when you were doing manufacturing, um, contract manufacturing with others, like, what – and you knew that sustainability was sort of part of your mission already. You know, what What were the sticking points that, like, you really couldn't reduce your carbon footprint or you wasn't sort of more innovation-focused? Like, what were the things that contract manufacturing environments couldn't, couldn't help you achieve um, on your mission?
2: Yeah, I think there's, you know, the inherent um, condition of contract manufacturing is that our products would be made alongside either competitors' products or even conventional cleaning products. So just the manufacturing environment wasn't um, necessarily conducive to um, all the things that we wanted to go into making those products. So um, they would be powered by um, just Con- conventional grid energy, so not renewable energy, they may not have the most um, sustainable practices always in mind. That said, we did try to to uh, identify contract manufacturers that either did have some initiatives on their own or would be amenable to working with us on on different projects so one of the things that was a requirement of of our contract manufacturers is signing what we call a code of of conduct, and that um, included both social and environmental sustainability practices. So they had to adhere to well above um, standard labor laws They had to report back to us on the energy, water, and recycling numbers associated with producing our product. And then through our cradle-to-cradle certification, we always did a comprehensive audit of those facilities to make sure that the way that the effluent was treated and the way that um, the energy was managed was um, as sustainable as it could be. And then the third part that we initiated a couple of years ago was um, we don't do our our carbon offsetting the way um, some other companies do. We calculate a standard carbon footprint, which includes our scope one, two, and three footprint. But instead of buying carbon credits on the traditional carbon market, we'll um, value those credits the same way. So we'll look at the current cost per metric ton of carbon, and then um, say that's $50,000, $50,000, dollars will um, go back to our contract manufacturers and actually offer that same amount of money as a financial incentive for them to make their processes more efficient. So um, kind, of like a, kind of like a grant program where where they could institute either an LED lighting project or install a solar forklift or, or things like that. So i um, hoping to provide some of that direct benefit to our supply chain versus the carbon offsets which tend to not really touch your product or supply chain at all.
1: That's amazing. I'm sure uh they were sad to lose you. <laughs> sad to lose someone who was capacity building.
2: <laughs> yeah, we had some great partners too. So um there's always you know, there's always that trade off is going into your own manufacturing is um some of those partnerships that you've developed um are no longer
3: Um, that's really interesting to to hear about that process. Just, I mean, for many of us in the program, interested in going into business and dealing with contractors, uh, understanding how you manage that supply chain is uh, super interesting. Um, Now that you are vertically integrated on the the soap manufacturing side, um, it'd be interesting to hear more about, you know, how you ensured that all those sustainability boxes were checked. I I look at the factory and, and, you know, the energy efficiency, the renewable energy, the water um, efficiency and wastewater uh, measures, the uh, reusing of uh, deconstructed materials and recycled materials and engaging the community, um, the urban garden on top. It really looks like uh, Method, you know, took the whole picture and and did everything possible. Um, How did that process work through Method? You know, through method, methods, um, either sustainability team or entire team. You know, what were the internal stakeholders who were engaged, um, and how did you maybe engage some of the external stakeholders as well when you're when you're make you know going through the process of putting all of those initiatives and all of those elements into building the new soap factory. And you can break that up. That was a pretty loaded question.
2: <laughs> it's, a it's, a, it's a big question. And um, I just, there's a fire alarm going on in the building. So I just hopped on my cell phone and I'm going to continue to join you. But if there's any break in my um, conversation, that, that's why. Um, so I think one of the important parts of our, our process is we, we were initially looking at about 150 different sites. And ultimately we landed where we did because the community itself was so welcoming. And I think if you know anything about Chicago and um, manufacturing history there, um, there was a a really strong steel manufacturing um, history. But over time, um, a lot of the industry had left. And especially in the south side of Chicago, there has been historically um, not as many jobs as there were before. So part of our aspiration in building there was, to be able to provide new jobs and new economic opportunity for that area, which was of course very welcome by them.
3: I think we may have lost her very briefly. Um, does does
1: anyone you. on the line have any any questions that we can T S? We're gonna open it up later as well. But if anyone wants to say hi.
0: Hi. Yeah. So um Is so it a, sounds a, like a-
2: Oh, Is that Saskia back?
0: Yeah, I'm here. Sorry, I did have
2: to step outside
0: because we're we're in a fire drill. So oh, so sorry. <laughs> that's that's always fun to manage. I find it hard enough to manage these calls that you were having to do it during a fire drill. So, no. um, well, I'll let you all keep on going. Everyone else, I've put on mute actually um, while you're talking. But if you want me to unmute and open up for questions, if that's better, just no, let I me know. No, I think it's fine. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
3: So you were you were kind of talking about the community and, and, and why uh yeah. why you ended up there and some of the advantages of that community and the opportunities that uh, method brought.
2: Yeah, so before we broke ground, we committed to hiring locally within that community. So the the community in the neighborhood where we are located is called Pullman. And it's a historic site, it was where the Pullman rail cars were manufactured and That was, along with the other steel industry, uh, closed down the last century. So it's a very cool site in that they um, created a national monument right there. But uh, that was established by President Obama last year. But in addition to that, there are not a lot of jobs or economic opportunities there. And we were ultimately looking at two different sites in the Chicago area. And one was this pretty incredible site that was right on Lake Michigan, um, and we were, you know, kind of excited about that because it, it was such a stunning site, but when we went to Pullman and met with the local alderman there and some of the local community groups, it became so readily apparent that we should be building and creating those opportunities in Pullman. Um, yeah, they...
3: couple
2: of... Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. It sounded like there were a couple of other parts of the question I probably did not answer
3: uh yeah, so i mean one one element of of the question that I would love you to build upon is you know how the process of of achieving cradle to cradle certification of, of of setting up the water efficiency and energy efficiency and renewables was uh broken up within the method team um and and kind of the sh- the you know strategic thinking behind how you actually ensured and decided what uh you know sustainable elements were included in the factory uh, you know where were your priorities yeah. that type of
2: Yeah. Thing. I would say especially in the Midwest where um the energy mix is different than in California you have a lot more coal-powered energy in the Midwest um Than in other areas. So it tends to be um, a little bit more carbon intensive in terms of pulling energy from the grid. And I should have mentioned that one reason we're in the Midwest is because it's highly efficient, both from bringing inbound materials, raw materials, and also distributing outside to all of our uh, distribution centers and all of our our vendors where we sell. So it, it makes a lot of sense from a distribution standpoint. But We did want to make sure that we were accountable for the carbon footprint just from the energy extraction. So we um, early on decided to do as much renewable energy um, as we could. So that was a big focus. And we especially wanted to do something that was um, pretty large scale. So we looked at wind turbines. Ultimately, we were able to purchase a refurbished wind turbine that... There's somebody honking. Um, we <laughs> refurbished wind turbines because um, it had already been used in, in Germany and um, had you know, already been proven, but it was essentially a recycled turbine. So um, we brought that online, and then we also had three solar panels uh, that are, we call them solar trees because they rotate once every six minutes to optimize the amount of sun that hits the panel. Um, and that was, but between those two and some of the energy efficiency that we brought into the factory, so far we're using about 50 percent of uh, the energy that a normal factory of that size would be producing. So ultimately, we'd love to get that down to, to zero and have, you know, net energy or even be sending more energy back to the grid, but for the time being, um, you know, it's a great start. So I would say renewable energy and onsite renewable energy was a big priority. The second piece of it was around water. So As you guys know, there's a big drought happening in California, and so that's one additional reason that we chose not to manufacture in California, because our products do use water, require water to to be produced. So we wanted to make sure that we were pulling water from a very healthy watershed. And the Great Lakes Watershed is something like 20% of the world's um, water, and a huge amount of, of water, and it's also very robust in terms of how much water is there, fresh water, but at the same time, we acknowledge that what we're doing is putting water into products and exporting that water elsewhere across the country. And so we wanted to be as accountable for that as we could. So one thing that we did was um, partner with the Nature Conservancy on a really interesting project where they provide financial incentives to Great Lakes farmers to change their practices to essentially put water back into the water table. So they can do a number of different practices, either no-till farming or um, creating small-scale wetlands or even planting certain kinds of cover crops that keep water back into the soil. So that was another big thrust of of our work is making sure that we were manufacturing in an area that had healthy water, but also that um, overall we had kind of a water neutrality.
1: One thing that I really loved um, about the visit was the way that you have landscaped the space around, like, and it, the, I also, it would be interesting to hear, like, on the one hand, you're a, you're a cleaning company, and, like, why is water so relevant? I think everyone knows, but it would be nice to sort of hear the way that Mets thinks about it, and then a little bit about um, the amazing landscaping you've done. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> of, yeah, okay, we take care of the watershed there, which is just, yeah.
2: <laughs> It's uh It's definitely a site that uh, will evolve over time, so right now, they're... Um, the overall site is 22 acres, and it was a former brownfield, so previously industrial site. There was a steel manufacturing facility that was there before, so we did have to do a soil remediation project before we developed, and worked very closely with the city um, to do that. But um, the site itself, so it's 22 acres, and then the the building, including the greenhouses and um, the surrounding kind of parking area, which is um, diminished because of a, a lead credit. Uh, is only about four acres, so that leaves 18 acres that we're creating in uh, Illinois prairie lands. So we worked with a native landscaper to identify the the plants that are native and, and drought tolerant that would eventually evolve into that native prairie land. So it's going to be a pretty interesting evolution. Um, I was told that when the wildflowers come up, they the, the seeds are so deep within the soil, that you can do a controlled burn to eliminate any kind of excess plant growth on the top, and then the wildflowers will reseed themselves. So I'm definitely going back for the controlled burn. (laughs) Um, It's going to be a cool
3: experiment to see. Thanks. Um, You mentioned there that you worked with the city, and you've talked a lot about the engagement in the Pullman community and, and why you chose the area and the jobs and economic opportunities. Um, Before we started this call, you were talking a little bit about kind of the integrated educational elements that Method has uh, included in part of its its factory, and I think it would be interesting, you know, when we focus on the triple bottom line at the BART MBA um, and sustainability, a lot of people think that our only focus is the planet side, but uh, the people side is also really important. So, you know, I think touching on some of those education sides and bringing in students and, and those opportunities would be interesting for our callers to hear about?
2: Yeah, I I think one of the goals that we have is you don't build the kind of facility that we have without wanting people to come see it and and, and experiment, experience it. Um, So the facility itself is really designed to host visitors and and to have people come in. And the goal is to make it a real-life classroom where people can learn about renewable energy and green chemistry and recycling and instead of just having a a factory, the old model of manufacturing was very much kind of a fortress in the middle of a a community or maybe on the outskirts of a community where people went to work, but it wasn't really integrated within the community. So we're trying this new model, which is green manufacturing, where there's really no reason to have that fortress because there's no toxic effluent, there's no smokestacks that are blowing any hazardous chemicals over that community. So it, it really has the possibility to be integrated And early on, because we are in the south side of Chicago um, where there is historical um, violence and gang-related activity, people were like, you definitely need to build a giant fence around the factory just to protect this investment. And we intentionally did not do that. We wanted it to be as open and integrated and as accessible as it possibly could be. So the cool thing is that we're already seeing that... um, in evolution that the community is sort of treating the prairie land like a a backyard for them, for different people come through and they're running or or biking. So we hope that over time that will continue to be an amenity for the community. Um, One thing that we're doing more specifically on education is partnering with a couple of the local schools to teach a curriculum that's focused on renewable energy and green chemistry and then have those students come visit the factory to reinforce the learnings that they've had in the classroom. So we've had lots of groups come through, and we're really um, set up so you know, that people can come and easily see the factory. They don't have to go onto the floor and um, wear any kind of hairnets or uh, protective equipment, so it makes it quite safe for them. There's a mezzanine that overlooks the floor so you can still see you know, where the bottles are produced, where the, the bottles are actually being filled and batched, and it kind of peeled back the curtain to say, like, here's how so actually made. And I think it, it's a nice reinforcement of one of our overall principles around transparency. It's like we have nothing to hide. Come and see and hopefully learn from, from what we're doing.
3: That's great. I know Mariana went on one of the tours and sounds, it sounds like she really like uh, liked it. I, I You know, if I'm ever in Chicago, I'd definitely love to come walk around. Yeah. Um, earlier you were talking a little bit about uh, the – when you contracted with manufacturers and um you know i was wondering if 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 method really um makes transparency uh with other manufacturing uh companies or other soap companies something important um you know you guys are leading the way with sustainable manufacturing uh, have you have you shared a lot of those best practices is collaboration and kind of pushing the needle on that type of manufacturing one of uh methods goals as well
2: yeah i think what we hope to do um is is to lead by example and hopefully inspire um, other businesses so in chicago itself we want to bring other like-minded manufacturing to that area so we work really closely with um there's a group that's also in pullman called the chicago neighborhood initiative And they do small-scale investments to try to bring industrial uh, manufacturing back to that area. So where the factory is is also zoned for future larger-scale manufacturing. So we hope that one of our partners that comes in, or one of our um, neighbors that comes in, is going to be a like-minded partner that um, can both learn from what we're doing and hopefully collaborate on some of the the manufacturing opportunities that we have. But um, I would say... The other platform that we we try to use to to share and to leverage the work that we're doing is through the B Corp community. And um, for those who know that B Corps are companies that um, do strive to make a profit, so we are a corporation, but at the same time, we have an equal commitment to doing social and environmental good and providing benefit back to the community and to the environment. So we work really closely with our other B Corps and try to share practices through that platform and really think that it's a great model for for sharing how you can be a better business and, and still make a profit and still um prove that you're successful.
1: Awesome. Um I think that after this question that I'm about to ask, we can see if there's any questions from the group. So anyone listening in, think about um some fun, some fun questions, but I was wondering, so we've talked about how, like, you know, this plant is epic, and you really did check off so many sustainability bosses. Was there anything that, you know, couldn't happen because of either, like, policy or regulations, it just wasn't economically feasible, or, like, some other sort of crazy pie-in-the-sky thing that would have, you know, if you had all of the funding <laughs> that you would have <laughs> added on
2: to the plant? Yeah, well, I think the cool thing is, you know, we are a very ambitious company, and we did want to create the factory that um, was in that vision. And I think we've we've re- made great strides. Um, we have a, a really cool factory, but I also think that it it the factory itself will evolve over time. So there is the chance that we could either expand and, and use some of the acreage that we're not using now and hopefully have other abilities to do demonstrations around renewable energy and things like that. Um, I also wanted to do, I have a background in industrial ecology and I'd really love to have a manufacturing area where you can see synergies by having co-location of other manufacturing facilities. So there's um, some great examples of factories that are co-located that can use waste heat or waste materials from one part of the manufacturing in another part of the – or another manufacturing process. So just um, in that symbiosis, having the sum of, of the parts be larger than each individual factory in, in isolation. So I think that would be something really cool to, to be okay. able to explore. It also does take the right partners, and, and hopefully we'll see that type of manufacturing come to Coleman as well.
3: Great. Thanks, Great. Uh, Thanks, Great. Uh, yeah. Uh Stephanie, if you want to unmute uh the audience for a second just to see if anyone has any questions. Um, so we have, a have t- a question. we have
1: a ton more questions. But yeah, we have a ton more questions. But if anyone
3: well, from the audience has any, let us know.
0: Yeah, everyone's off mute, so while you're not speaking, do try to mute your own phone um because feedback does happen. But would love to hear anyone from the line who has questions for Saskia about method.
3: I've got a question. So you've been Christine from the
1: MBA program. Um actually two questions. You, you hit it at this a minute ago with
2: this idea of
1: industrial ecology, but are you manufacturing in a radically different way currently than uh was happening in your current in your in your contract uh operations? And then the second question is how are mainstream uh cleaning product companies responding to methyl?
2: So the the first thing that we're doing that's different uh, than how we were manufacturing before is the true sense of integrated manufacturing. We brought our bottle manufacturer into the facility. So um, Amcor, which is a longtime partner that we've been working with for, a long, um, I think, pretty much since the beginning, they make our 100% post-consumer recycled PET bottles. And we, in in creating the facility and, and thinking about our aspirations for it, one of the things that we wanted to do was bring them actually into the building. So that's created huge advantages for us just in terms of taking transportation miles out of the supply chain. We used to ship the bottles, uh, would create the bottles in one area, ship them to another area to get decorated. So that means labeled or printed on and then ship them to another area to get filled. And then lastly, one last area to for the distribution center. So we've taken about... A 1,000 miles out of our supply chain just by having all of that under one roof. So we're doing blowing of the, the bottles themselves, the decoration and filling and distribution we're housing under, under one roof now. And then the second question around conventional cleaning companies, I think that um, there's still a, quite a different model within larger cleaning conventional cleaning companies. There's, um, you know, I think the... In general, the the products and, and the evolution of, of chemistry of the products has come a long way. There's still a long way to go for some of the other conventional brands in terms of the ingredients that they're using. They're not um, using as much post-consumer recycled material in the packaging and things like that. Um, but you'll also see a couple of large companies trying to get into the green space by um, putting forward either specific lines that are formulated to be more biodegradable or non-toxic, and try to go after some of those conventional brands. I think there's not necessarily on the on the green side, but on our design side, we have one of the the pillars that we tra- we adhere to is around beautiful design, and we try to not only create a product that's green and efficacious, but also looks quite beautiful. And so we do see some kind of copycatting around that, and we always say, you know, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. So We'll never exactly have the same kind of thing that we do, but um you know it's it's nice to see that we could be copied.
3: Were there any other uh, any other questions from the listeners?
0: Don't be shy about chiming in, thanks, Eben, for your question definitely open still for more. All
3: right. right. Well, we can, we can go back to the listeners maybe in a few minutes. Um, One of the, one of one of the cooler things about the factory uh, that has less to do with the product, but a lot to do with the space is the partnership with um, Gotham Greens. Um, Mm -hmm. So just, if you could tell us a little bit more about how that partnership was established and and what the future of the uh, partnership is and a little bit more about your rooftop farm or garden.
2: Yeah, Gotham Greens is a wonderful kind of partner and now neighbor. They uh, have a number of rooftop greenhouses in the New York area. So I think there's three in the New York area, two in in Brooklyn and one in Queens. And what they're doing is a mass scale operation that is um, kind of at agricultural scale in a much smaller area. They use hydroponic technology to grow mostly leafy greens. They're also growing, I think, some tomatoes in one of the, the New York facilities. But the process themselves is uh, very efficient in terms of land use and also water use. So it uses 20 times less land than conventional agriculture and 10 times less water. And the way that it works is you recirculate the water in order to provide the nutrients that the plants need. The greenhouses also don't use pesticides. They release beneficial insects to kill any kind of aphids or, or pests that may come in. And um, in general, they're... A really interesting model for how you can take more advantage of, of the urban space that we have and, and do localized uh, agricultural operations. So, everything that Gotham Greens is growing or will be growing on the rooftop in, in Chicago will be distribu- distributed in the Chicago land area. And they're able to get everything from the rooftop gardens onto the shelf within 24 hours. And that makes an extremely fresh product. So, they're not Um, losing any shelf time by being in transition or um, in distribution. So it ends up lasting a lot longer once it's in your refrigerator, which is really, really cool. And it also creates such a great product. And um, so I think we're going to figure out what the kind of synergies are between the greenhouse and the manufacturing area below. We hope that in winter when we're producing a little bit of waste heat just from our operations and people down below, that that will be a benefit to the plants upstairs. We're also seeing if there's any kind of synergies in terms of other materials that we're using. And um, we're all mutually um, committed to both hiring locally within the community and also pursuing a zero landfill goal for the factory site. So looking forward to a cool partnership with them. And um, yeah, I think that they're really creating a new model for how industrial and urban agriculture can be done in the future.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, across the board, you guys are setting uh, really great examples. And and personally, I know that, uh, you know, if my workplace had a rooftop farm, that would be just a benefit within itself uh, for me as an employee. Um, And I I know that uh, Method really is uh, invested in employee engagement and, you know, Elements like having that rooftop garden or you know or or really focusing on the community uh where the plan exists uh show that I'd love to hear a little bit more about how uh method focuses on engaging the employees at this factory and, and throughout the business model um and, and you know how how that's done, yeah, I think one of the cool things and one of the things I really appreciate about
2: working at method is the culture itself and we have a pretty fun culture. We have one of our, our values is keep it weird, and um, that simply means every person has you know their their own uniqueness, and we want to have a work environment where people feel comfortable, like being themselves and hopefully having fun with your coworkers. I always say like you're at work a lot, like you should hopefully like to hang out with the people and work with the people that you're working with. And I think having a culture where people can have fun and laugh and be themselves is, is really productive towards that. Um, in terms of engagement and working with everyone, um, I, when I was at the factory this summer, I was, you know, not only trying to get some sustainability programs off the ground, but just teaching everyone from every level at the factory. Um, we have line workers are called uh, movers and makers, and they are the folks that are actually running forklifts and batching products and, and filling the products. And we, we, do want to go beyond just, you know, providing a job for them. We teach everyone about what it means to do greenskeeping and um how we select ingredients and packaging and supply chain. And I think that everyone really appreciates that. So we get people at any level whether engineers, They really want to come and work at Method because we're not just doing, you know, three to five type work. We really have a passion for what we're doing and a commitment to do something a little bit different and a little bit unusual. And um, so we also do kind of weird, fun things, like we host an annual ping pong tournament that's uh, company wide. So everyone from the CEO to people you know, in the factory are um, paired up in mixed doubles. And we um, the winner of the factory ch- uh, championship gets flown to San Francisco and um, competes there. So we try to do things like that just to create a lot of fun and opportunities to interact and get to know each other
3: and be a little bit weird. Very cool. Yeah, it sounds um, like a, an ideal company to work for. Yeah, go for it, Mariana.
1: Yeah, I had... Um, So talking about, like, all of the amazing things that you do for the environment that you're in, the community that you're in, I think it's pretty interesting to think about methods, you know, as the brand and, like, what the customer engagement looks like because you're certainly not, uh, you know, you don't have overt sustainability branding. Like, you're not going for the sort of deep green, like, Castile soap market. Which I think is really interesting Mm -hmm. and is a lot, you know, is really sort of connected to your success because you have been, you've gone really mainstream. And so, how do you, how are you managing the line of like, you want people to know that you've done amazing work and have like a really true heritage of being sustainable and innovative, but also getting in as many people's homes as possible, as quickly as possible?
2: Yeah, I would say earlier on, so probably around 2000 when we were first created. The intention was to be a little bit disruptive because the other green cleaning products were either a lot more expensive or didn't work that well. And as you identify a lot of the conventional, not conventional, but the the more common green cleaning, and there are also other things. So. Um, With that, we wanted to do something a little bit different. I know some consumers are specifically seeking out, I think it's something about 5% of consumers are specifically seeking out green cleaning products. But there's a lot of consumers that are really looking for green, but then also something else. So looking for a wonderful experience or looking for something that's quite beautiful. And that's why we created those other elements that that create that appeal. So a lot of our, our customers are buying the products because, they, you know, the, the color may match their shower curtain or they love the fragrance or they really think that it, you know, cleans their oven the best uh, of any other cleaner. And that's, I think, a big win because a lot of those, those consumers are buying the product and then later they, they may find out that, oh, and it's, you know, not going to be harmful to me and to my family. And I think um, having that multi-dimensional experience that, delivers on a lot of different levels, um, creates more of a broad market so that people will hopefully come into the green cleaning space and stay there. And we've done a little bit of research to identify that um, we tend to be kind of a gateway into green cleaning. So because we're available in some of the conventional channels like Target and um, Walgreens and Home Depot, that people will buy a method product and then they'll be uh, more bought into the green cleaning space. So then they'll pursue potentially other green cleaning brands and other products.
3: Thanks for that. Anya. And I think it's, it's an interesting uh, element to understand that line and, and, and balance the kind of notions that many consumers might have about eco-friendly cleaners. Um, I was wondering, you know, kind of moving forward, Method has started to offer these refill packs, um, and you know you've worked on a lot of the packaging innovations with ocean plastic. Mm-hmm. you know what's the next level of sustainability for cleaners uh you know could it be commercial cleaning, larger containers um different ways of buying soap refills um you know without giving away the ten year plan mm-hmm. for method what what uh what thoughts do you have on kind of that that next step for sustainability within cleaning, at least, that method.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely thinking about that. I think we have, within my team, it's uh, greenskeeping and also what we call long-term innovation. So there's a couple of people in, on our team that are not just looking at innovations that we can bring to market next year, even five years, but even 10 or 20-year innovations. So we're really looking to the future to see you know how we can continue to be more sustainable and also be the first to do it. Um, So there's plenty of things I can't share, but um, I think that there's there's a great market not only around refills and and those executions, and I think we do have really good adoption of our refills, so uh, it's it's really hard to get consumers to bring their own bottle to the store and to refill it at the store. Those adoption levels tend to be really low, but because there is a, a little bit of a value proposition with buying the refills, um, per dose it's a little bit more affordable usually. Um, they also ship really well on Amazon, so um, you can buy them very easily there. So we've seen great adoption of refills. I think the the next evolution um, could be something like in-store um, bulk purchasing. Uh, if we can get those user, the consumers to actually bring the, the bottles back. Um, a lot of innovation uh, to be had around concentration of different products. Um, we have done quite a bit on laundry, so we have an eight times concentrated laundry detergent, uh, a new four times concentrated laundry detergent that has slightly different properties um, than the other one, but really trying to take the water out of the formula so it's a lot more efficient when you distribute and then the water actually comes from the washing machine itself, so I think there's there's an opportunity to do that with a lot more of our products in terms of our surface cleaners and things like that. Um, I think the cool thing is once you once you go down the path, and I'm sure all of you have experienced this but once you go down the path of sustainability, it just kind of opens up more and more things that you can do and so we've made big strides in post consumer recycled material and um, efficacious naturally derived surfactants so it really says once we check those things off, then we have the liberty to pursue even more channels than that so it uh, could be new chemistries that are coming from algae or from um, other rapidly renewable feedstocks. So I think that um, that's that's the kind of things that we're thinking about
3: and the directions that we're headed. Uh, thanks, Saskia. Uh, you know, since we're getting near the end of uh, this call and it's almost 1 p.m., I would love to see if the people listening in uh, had more or any other questions that they'd love to get answered before we have to let you go so uh, Stephanie if you want to open up those lines again and see if there's any other questions that might come from any of the listeners
0: yeah so lines should be open now so do feel free to ask a question. This, to me, has been such an interesting conversation, Saskia, just understanding really your processes internally and how this all comes to light. And the fact I use your laundry detergent and your soap makes it even more special to be on this call. <laughs> and, I can Im- and I can really imagine there are other people on this call of the same situation. So you know, definitely be open about asking questions. I think this is a great opportunity. Stephanie, do you have any questions? Well, I was actually going to ask a question about the future because you kind of, that was an interesting one because I'm always thinking about, okay, what's next? I know Method's going to come out with this next big thing. But, um, you know, because I guess, Saskia, from my perspective, because, you know, I help run an MBA program, um, we have a lot of students who are really interested in getting deep into the space in a company, especially like yours, where you're very mainstream, but you're really pushing some sustainability agenda forward. So could Mm -hmm. you provide any kind of words of wisdom? I know you have a lot of background working in sustainability. But, you know, for those who are, you know, in an MBA, how do they really bring themselves to the table at a company like Method? What would you, what do you guys look for when you're hiring someone right out of an MBA? Yeah,
2: well, we do have quite a a few folks that have gotten MBAs and they're not necessarily in directly sustainability roles. Although, as I mentioned, we really try to have sustainability integrated into the company. So everyone feels like they can be actionable around sustainability. Um we, because we're a little bit smaller and we tend to be a little bit scrappy, we often don't hire directly from school. So um, look for folks that have had at least a couple of years of experience working for a company on a brand, um, ideally. So just encourage everyone to try to, to get a little bit of a, of a practical experience. Um, that could be, you know, there's lots of different programs where you can work, um, either like a, not an internship, but um practicum, and really develop some of the, the real life experiences that help translate some of the practices that you hear in school into what it means to really, you know, make decisions on a day-to-day basis. But I would say that we're really fast-paced, so people that can make decisions quickly and, and obviously take into account a number of different decisions in terms of making those decisions. And then... People that can be kind of holistic thinkers, so not just um, looking singularly at the margin that we're producing or um, the, um, you know, the the benefit of of having that on store shelves, but thinking about how it would play into our larger portfolio. So, um, somebody who can really have that wide lens and system thinking and holistic thinking would be very valuable. And then. Kind of creativity. We're we're doing things. We try to do things a little bit differently. So people that can come forward with new ideas and um, help us challenge how cleaning products are made and what kind of products we're making. I think we we really value people that that come forward and and don't just copy or or repeat what other companies are doing, but um, help us think about how we can challenge you know consumer behavior and, and product development.
0: Very nice. And that's great to hear. Along with, you know, just all your, what you've been saying about your culture in general. Um, I think you guys have a unique, you know, you you use things a little bit differently than other companies. I think that's really inspiring to a lot of our students and people who are listening in. So do appreciate that insight, just kind of where, you know, what kind of it takes to work at a company like yours. And, um, yeah, just thinking through your culture and how that all fits and how, to me, how they it differs so much from other companies. So I think that's just a really exciting piece. Um, but based on that, does anyone else have any questions on the line? Because I know Mariana and, and Simon probably could do a few more, but would love to hear <laughs> anyone else. Right. Well, we have a shyer group today, but, um, (laughs) but Marianne and Simon, do you guys have some more questions that you you guys have had, you you prepped really well for this. And so I don't want to take this away from you because you guys really could dig deeper into some of these issues.
3: Yeah. Um, well, I know we have one final question, but I think we have time for, you know, a little bit more, you know, one thing we haven't dug too deep into is, um, you know, this, newer product along with the ocean plastic um, mm-hmm. and, and I've always kind of been upset by you know, the amount uh, of plastic that I use within my own life and just imagining the plastic bag from my entire life floating somewhere in the Pacific or in a landfill so so hearing about you know the ocean plastic movement and reusing a lot of that plastic is really something that inspires me so maybe more about that process and, and how it got started would be would be pretty interesting. Yeah, the, the Ocean Plastic Project
2: is, I think, a really cool reminder that we should be very conscientious about the plastic that we use and try to use the plastic that we already have on the planet versus making new plastic. So, um, I, I'd say we don't aim to clean up the, the oceans by collecting material and making it into to packaging. It's really a reminder and um, hopefully a good demonstration that we should be conscientious user, users of plastic. The project itself, um, our one of our co-founders, Adam, is really into sailing, loves the oceans, and was also deeply saddened about the issue of, of plastic getting into the ocean. Um, so we worked really closely <laughs> with some... Um, collection, uh, some organizations in Hawaii that were doing beach cleanup and the, the sustainable coastlines um, and a couple of other companies that are um, organizing cleanups, beach cleanups. And the interesting thing about collecting plastic from Hawaii is that this is plastic that's already come from the Pacific gyre and washed onto the beaches of, of Hawaii. So it's already been through the ocean. And as you can imagine, it's really brittle just from light and um waves and salt so over time that plastic becomes very very uh, brittle and not that great of a material to be honest to work with but um, we worked with a recycler in southern california to clean the plastic Um, sometimes there's what they call biofouling which is barnacles and other material that grows on the plastic so you have to kind of wash that off and then mix it with 100 percent post-consumer HDPE. so that's the the same plastic that milk jugs and um, some other cleaning, like, detergent bottles are made out of. And the result of it, I mean, it was a little bit shocking to us because the plastic itself is a lot of different colors and, as I mentioned, very degraded over time, so it ended up having that kind of gray color. And for us, being a a design company, it was sort of a question like, oh, is this something that we could use as a product and and how would we really use that um, to demonstrate, what we were doing and ultimately it became a great kind of symbol of of the history of that material and and the the life that it had gone through because it it says like this gray plastic is is not fresh shiny new plastic it really has that history so we ended up launching uh, the ocean plastic we have two different uh, products that come in that that format and it's mostly sold in more like natural stores and whole foods and um, gotten great reception to it. I think people appreciate that um, it's both an engineering feat to turn something that is plastic from the ocean into a a usable product, but it also can kind of remind people that we have a lot of plastic. We can't treat our oceans like landfills and hopefully just um, make people think twice about uh, littering and and being hopefully more conscientious users of, of plastic. I, I would hope recommend, so. And any of
1: the listeners, you should go to the Method website and look at the Ocean Plastic page. They have some really great videos about it. Um, it's a super interesting project. Yeah, um, I so do. we're coming to the end of our time. Uh, this has been an amazing conversation, really interesting. And I just, Simon and I, thank you again and finish with one, one question. Um, is there anything that you wish more people knew about your industry? Cleaners
3: and soap—thing really? that you
1: have
2: to always explain to people. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not necessarily about about cleaning and soap, although there's plenty of things that um, you know we we find ourselves explaining. Um, it's more that you know people are always a little bit amazed that um, as a company we're doing a lot of unusual things around sustainability. And I think one of the things that I really appreciate is that the business itself can be a platform for doing a lot of those different things. So um, testing the boundaries of what a business, any type of business can do to press chal- to challenge conventional design and to, to challenge um, conventional supply chains and um, of course the sustainability of our operations. So we make soap, but I think it's so much more beyond that just by how we're able to um to be that demonstrator of innovation around all those different um types of business. So, you know, in some in some days I'm like, oh, we could be making anything. We could be making um any other kind of product, but the way that we do it is um kind of challenging all of that. So hopefully that can um be an inspiration or a motivation for folks in the, the business m b a program because I think you really have the ability to to do all of that um not it doesn't have to be at method it doesn't have to be at a cleaning company um it's really just how you execute it
1: awesome thank you that's I think that's a great place to to end the collinss really inspirational um, so yeah thank yeah. You. another thanks. <laughs>
3: Yeah, thanks a lot, Saskia. Uh, it's been a really, really great conversation. Uh, Mariana, Mariana and I had a lot of fun uh, talking with you and 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 chatting about our excitement on a Google Doc on the side, as, as we do.
2: Very cool. Well, thank you so much for, for having me and uh, letting me share some of the stuff we were doing with you guys.
0: And thank you, Saskia. This has been... Obviously, these kind of calls, honestly, when we get into the supply chain of a company are really some of my favorite. Um, Mariana knows this. And so (laughs) it's just been a lot of fun kind of really understanding how it works on the inside and just you being so generous with your time and the the details behind it all. It's very inspiring work. And I know everyone on the call is probably just as inspired. And um, so we really do look forward to staying in touch with you. But um, so I'm just going to wrap up today's call. So everyone who's still here, join us for our next Sustainable Business Fridays conversation on October 30th at noon, where we'll be speaking with Arlen Wasserman, founder of Changing Taste, about sustainability in our food systems. So thank you all for being part of today's conversation and a big thank you to Saskia, Mariana, and Simon. Have a great weekend, everyone.
1: Thanks, everyone. Bye.
0: Bye Bye-bye.